0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we are back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by FullScale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And they do a lot of cool stuff here in the Kansas City community, and the world beyond. Um, you know, they're just a really amazing organization, but they are your one-stop shop solution. If you are trying to build something technical and you need some help, they can help you find the people, put people in the right place to help you get her done. So we just, we do love full scale around these, these hallowed halls of startup hustle. So speaking of something and well, somebody else that we love, uh, and by we, I mean, I, and by the end of today's podcast, you're going to love her too. Uh, our guest today is One of the more fascinating individuals that I I think I've ever met, because she just has a very wide birth of experience, and she's one of the smartest women I know, Uh, we have with us Nadia Igram. She is the the head and attorney at Divas and Doulas, um, just an amazing, brilliant legal mind, compassionate human being, rock star leader, uh, you know. Mom and friend, and just an, an, an incredible individual. And I have to tell you, Nadia, thank you so much for for being with us here today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm not sure if I can handle all those compliments. So I
0: you know how much I love you. <laughs> <laughs> one of I, seriously, like one of my favorite people. I I always leave our coffees just feeling very um up because you, in addition to being brilliant, you have just a super. You have an awesome energy about you. Well thank you. Yeah. Well it. well well thank you for for sharing of your time today. And I am gonna go ahead and kick us off with just the the base question. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your journey, you know, tell us about divas and doulas, you know, whatever you'd like to tell us about. We wanna hear it.
1: Sure. Oh, wow. I mean, that is, it's a big question.
0: There are a lot of things. That there have- are like five questions contained in that, that <laughs> right. one. I think I actually asked it three different
1: ways. So <laughs> pick them all apart. I'll pick them all apart. That's what I do is I pick things apart and find the little details. So all right. <laughs> there are a lot of things that have brought me to where I am right now. So, you know, I, I started, I think as a kid, I really, for a long time, I've wanted to be a lawyer. So that was kind of, you know, what brought me to that point in my life was I had always wanted to be a lawyer for whatever reason. I don't even know. Like, it it wasn't something that was glorified growing up or anything like that. I didn't have a bunch of lawyers in my family. There was one cousin who was a lawyer. So I'm not sure what kind of put that in my head. But one thing that pushed that forward was I grew up in an environment where, or with parents who were very, they were very giving themselves. They were always trying to, you know, my mom was an immigrant trying to support her family back home. And, you know, they were always trying to help anybody. My dad was a business owner, so I come from a, from a line of entrepreneurs as well. And even with his business, he was always trying to help people, You know, refugees who would come, immigrants who would come into the community. I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And they were always giving them jobs, trying to give them that kind of start in life to help them kind of rebuild from the life that they left. So I came from a very giving and compassionate environment, which I have always appreciated. And so that kind of pushed me forward in my legal work i went to law school with the understanding that i was going to do some sort of public interest law or you know legal aid or criminal defense you know be a public defender or something like that so i was always going into it with the with the mindset of i'm going into the legal profession with the understanding or with the goal of helping as many people as i could it was never like I'm going to go be this big corporate lawyer and make tons of money. I couldn't do that. I just like physically can't get myself to do any of that. And it's great. It works for some people. It doesn't work for me. So in law school, I started working for a legal aid during, um, my last year of law school, it was the free legal aid clinic at my law school. And so I did an internship and then volunteer work with them for the entire year. And then after law school, I started working for Iowa legal aid in Cedar Rapids. Now, uh we've landed ourselves my family and i have landed ourselves in kansas city we've been here for about five years a little over five years now and as soon as i got here one of the things that i mean besides the fact that i had to take the bar exam again so i had to do that all over again but one of my goals was to somehow get involved with legal aid here as well so i at the time i had two kids and then by the time i took my third bar exam i was going on my third child also which was always fun studying while pregnant and very nauseous um but after I passed the bar exam, I started to reach out to legal aid and I started to take volunteer cases with them while doing a little bit of stuff on on the side. Um, the other thing I noticed in the legal profession, coming from a background of legal aid where we don't charge our clients anything, you know, you have that one extreme of the spectrum. And then you have a lot of private attorneys who charge $250, $300 an hour, which key leads to this huge gap of people who either don't qualify for legal aid because of the type of case that they have or they're just beyond those income limits, but they also can't afford a private attorney from a private firm. And there aren't very many attorneys who do sliding scale fees. So one thing that I decided, even with my own private cases that I was taking on the side beyond my volunteer work was that I would do a sliding scale fee to kind of help build uh, a network or, or build an opportunity to be able to help those people who kind of fall within the gaps for the doula side. And this was kind of this came. Out yeah,
0: this everywhere. is the one that I'm like super fascinated <laughs> yeah. by because I'm like attorney, right? And doula like two very cool professions (laughs) i don't necessarily see a ton of overlap but i'm sure you're going to correct my perception No, you know what you're you are
1: mostly right there really isn't very much overlap the one overlap is that both are advocates on behalf of both are advocates for their clients but in a different way and this was something that i actually had to retrain my brain to do doula work for as an attorney you advocate on behalf of your clients as a doula, you advocate for your clients, but you help them advocate for themselves. You you know, know what their wishes are in, in their birth settings. You know what their goals are. And you recognize when maybe those goals and those wishes aren't being met or being respected. But you don't speak for them. You help them find their own voice and speak on their own behalf. Of course, if they're in a situation where they really want you to take up that initiative, you can do that. But it's a completely different type of advocacy from legal aid or from uh, attorney work.
0: So how I also get- well, wait a minute. I, I do. I do want to drill down on that really quick because I think that you said something really, really uh, profound, and 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 I, I want to hear your thoughts on it. So when you talk about the difference mm-hmm. between helping people advocate for themselves versus advocating on behalf of someone, mm-hmm. um, what's your what's your process like in in both of those those areas? Because I imagine they're very different. Yes. So. The, you
1: know, for the legal side, when you're advocating for somebody the lead up to that, and usually, you know, you're, you're advocating on their behalf, as you talk to opposing counsel, or as you talk to the judge in a trial or in a hearing setting, the lead up to that is you're very, you know, you have to have open lines of communication between you and the client. And so the client has to, you know, it's constantly telling you, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want. But you also have to be constantly reminding you, reminding your client that this is what you want within the limits of the legal world, right? So you may want yeah. the sky, but a judge is only going to give you to the top of the trees. And it's it's constantly kind of trying to bring their expectations and their wishes down to earth, which is very difficult because the legal world, the justice system can be very frustrating for a lot of people because they want things to move at a particular pace and it's just not going to happen. They have very high expectations and, and I do mostly family law. So I have folks who in a divorce or custody setting want everything or as much as they can get when the reality is they're gonna get something in the middle, you know, because their soon to be ex wants the complete opposite. So it's constantly tampering down their expectations. In the birth world, you they get your client gets free reign basically to decide what they want. They build, you help them build their birth plan. You give them all the options of this is what, you know, an ideal birth can look like you focus entirely on what they want and you try everything that you can to help them get that, you know, you're bound to certain limits if you're in a hospital, because it has to be somewhat within hospital protocol and hospital procedure. But at the same time, you also have to tell them that, you know, as the patient you have a lot more rights than you may realize you actually can reach for the sky and you don't have to bring them down to the top of the trees you know what i mean so it's it's a completely different scenario where on the one hand you're trying to you know help your client realize and and make them less disappointed build them up so that they'll be less disappointed with the outcome on the other hand in the doula world you're trying to help them get everything that they want you know yeah. to meet all of their goals and all their aspirations with their birth experience that they that they can realistically get with the and obviously some things happen and there are unexpected things sometimes that happen in birth and so they recognize, you know, you help them recognize and accept that certain things may change, but you can still try to get as much of what you want as possible. So it's a very different dynamic between the two of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that's fascinating. And, and, and what I love about it is that, you know, seemingly like on paper, you have two very disparate things that you're doing, but there there is at least one really significant commonality, like mm-hmm. you said, you know, it, it, it's all about advocacy. Right. And so I want to talk to you, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Because you, you have always impressed me and full disclosure, Nadia is on our IHKC leadership team. So I am, of course, a little bit biased. <laughs> but one of the things that has always impressed me about you is how y- you have a sort of quiet strength surrounding equity and, and issues of social justice. Like we've had long conversations about them and you've just always, you're, you're always very fact, like you're very much an attorney. When we talk about these things, you always, you lay out the facts. You're like, this is how I, this is how I feel based on the evidence presented, but you're always very, I I don't want to say dispassionate because I know that's not it, but you're very able, you're very, you're able to very clearly communicate some very emotional, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and very, for some people, very triggering concepts. Right. And I, I love that about you because I always leave feeling like so, so much more clear headed yeah. around topics that we discuss. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. Like now I, now I have like some facts and now I have some info to kind of like, so, so kudos on that. Thank you. Um, and now I'm going to actually ask my question. Cause I just like <laughs> went down a whole tangent that I didn't mean to, but my, my question is talk to us about talk to us about accessibility Mm -hmm. um i know that you have a huge heart for creating opportunity and creating access for people who have not and that i feel like to me that's kind of the core of who you are like that's how i see you i'm just like yep she's got that servant heart and that brilliant leader brain (laughs) um so so let's let's hear about that so
1: to to your earlier point though i will tell you that it has taken me years (laughs) to kind of quiet that inner anger and inner passion because i realized in college it wasn't going to get me very far if i was constant constantly like you need to think this way and this is the reality and all that so i really it took me a lot of time to kind of work on quieting that fire and getting it in a, in a space where I can communicate in a very matter of fact and kind of, you know, sort of dispassionate, but um, a, a very, you know, easier way to digest certain information.
0: For the- yeah, I gotta tell you, like you, you do a, a bang up job <laughs> on that. I, I love talking. because, like, well, so so I'm gonna get on a soapbox for just a second here, because one of the things that drives me crazy is when people call me an angry feminist, mm-hmm. and it's not because they're calling me an angry feminist as a pejorative. It's because, yeah, <laughs> I am angry. Like this is not this is not new news to me. Right. You know, I I mean. I don't hate people who believe differently than me, but I'm angry about things that I see. Absolutely. You know, and I'm a feminist. This is these are two very true words about me that you just put together and you tried to make it <laughs> an insult. It just doesn't work.
1: Like, thanks for the compliment. Let's let's
0: move right, on. Right, right. So, but so so I always but I always because I get really passionate when I talk about this stuff and I always love talking to people who are able to community, like you said, like you're just able to communicate these ideas and these thoughts very, very well, you know.
1: Thank you. But that's also, I mean, going back to your question, that's, I found that to be a requirement. If I'm able, if I am going to be able to progress in the work that I do and making a, legal services, making doula services, making whatever, you know, accessible to everybody, I have to, I mean, I have some, you know, passion that comes out but I have to make sure it's the right amount, right? Otherwise people yeah. are just tune out, they're gonna turn me off, they're not gonna listen, they're not gonna be receptive of what I'm gonna say. So right. part of, you know, taking that time to really kind of figure out how to best communicate those things has been with the ultimate goal of, okay, how can I structure how I present certain things? And how can I, uh, you know, adjust my dialogue and adjust my the way that I that the way that I speak about these things that I am deeply passionate about, in a way that's going to be the most receptive, because that's going to lead to the, the greatest outcome. So right, one of the things that I studied in college was uh, I minored in philosophy. And one thing that really struck with me was utilitarianism, because I, I have always kind of operated under the belief that I personally, and and I think, you know, generally, people should do this, but I understand that most people don't. But I personally will make decisions, And do things and structure my work in a way that benefits the greatest amount of people, you know, I, I, regardless of what it is, even in my personal life, the way I raise my kids, I raise them in, in a way that is, you know, making sure that they're going to be full functioning, compassionate, kind members of society who are aware of all these social justice issues, I mean, my son was talking about redlining the other day and he's seven
0: <laughs> and I was just that's kind of amazing. By. And that, that does not at all surprise me, but that's amazing. <laughs> but
1: was just like you are seven and a half and I didn't learn about redlining until I was an adult. So I, you know, oh. it's, it goes back to, you know, with accessibility, I function in worlds, especially the legal profession where it is, it is meant to be exclusive to a lot in a lot of ways. You know, you have people who are constantly looking for self-help forms and really questioning whether they need a lawyer. They do need a lawyer, but they can't afford it. And because we've created an industry where people think that it's it's inaccessible, it, they don't understand what legal jargon means, but they don't want to, you know, go have to run to the bank and drain their savings to pay for a lawyer for something that shouldn't cost that much. They shouldn't yeah. have to pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for an advocate for them in a system that's right. built to make it so that they can't understand and therefore need that advocate like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me I mean one thing that we're not even taught in law school which also doesn't make sense is how to talk to your clients in a layperson way we use all yeah. kinds of words and most people don't understand you know doctors have bedside manner classes we don't have that in the legal world and that's one thing that I've you know really found too that that has to change. I haven't yet gotten there. That's on my list of things to do. I haven't gotten to that point yet, but I think that should be also be a required class for law school. Like you have to know how to talk to your clients in a way that they can understand so that they don't feel so distanced from the legal world. I mean, there's thrust in it for one reason or another, especially with divorce. You have no choice, but to go through the legal system, right? You have to go through a judge to get a divorce. You just have to, there's no way around it. But why then make it so that they can't understand what's happening? You know, you talk on behalf of your client because the legal system has been designed so that that client can understand so that the lawyer has job security and to a large extent. And I don't think that's, you know, I don't think that's the best way to operate personally. So what I try to do is I do a sliding scale fee. Um, You know, I encourage my clients that could go to legal aid to go to legal aid. And then come back to me if they don't they don't get through for one reason or, or another. I have quite a few clients who come to me because I'm one of the very few Muslim lawyers in this community, so they want somebody who has that that religious understanding, that cultural understanding as well. Um, sure. and, and so I same thing with you know my doula services. It's a sliding scale. I work with other nonprofit doula organizations in Kansas City because I think that that is a necessary service, just like it's a necessary service to go to any doctor doulas scientifically have been proven to reduce labor length, reduce the number of interventions, have the, have, you know, better chance of a great outcome and better bonding with the, with the parents and the baby. So I think that's a service that should be accessible to anybody
0: who wants it. And right. not because we're also not. Well, and who, who doesn't want more support? Like, right. so, so I have, I have never, you know, gone through childbirth, but I can imagine that it's probably a, a, a scary Process, you know, it's painful, and you have all of these doctors like around you doing things that you might not understand, and 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 so just having like somebody in the room who understands what you're going through, who can help advocate for you when you're too tired, um, you know, I, I I imagine that that would just be a huge comfort in addition to all of the the ta- tangible benefits that you're that you're listing, you know.
1: I can tell you, I went with my third child. I, there was a point where um, both my my husband had gone out of the room to get something, and my sister-in-law, who's always been my kind of unofficial doula, had left the room for some reason, and I was alone for one contraction. And I swear to you, I was the biggest baby. I was like, I can't do this alone by myself. Get back in here. So I can't. Oh God, I can't, you know, I can't imagine. Like there are people who have to go through the entire process alone, and that shouldn't be anybody's reality. I mean, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty, you know, physically, like I can handle a lot of pain. And that one contraction about broke me. And I was like, I can't do it anymore by myself. Yeah. So
0: that's definitely So, like in a perfect world, would every person who, who delivered it, like every woman or every person who delivered a baby would have a doula.
1: Yes. And that's culturally, that used to be the norm for so many places around the world. That's the thing Yeah. where we, we lost it here. We don't have that that support. I mean, in other places in the world, you go into labor and there's immediately somebody there who's experienced, who knows what to do, who's helping you through that. Here, right? We're so we've become such an un- individualistic, you know, society that we've lost our village. Both during, you know, the prenatal period where you don't necessarily have somebody to help get you ready for the for the birth, but especially during labor and delivery and postpartum. You know, we're expected to go back to work. If you're lucky, you get six weeks on paid vacation. Most people don't even get that. Right. And that, you know, where, where you, your body needs so much longer than six weeks to recover from a birth, having a newborn, if you choose to, to nurse, then, you know, getting used to all of that, then all of a sudden you have to switch to pumping. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not conducive to healthy relationships. It's not conducive, you know, between parents and their children, but it's also not conducive to healing. And, you know, people who have had baby have yeah. to have time to heal physically and mentally and emotionally. And we don't have so, yeah, sure. absolutely. And I like- yeah, I mean, I, I feel like,
0: like we could have a whole show on uh, inequities in, in labor and delivery mm-hmm. and family practice here in the U.S. And, and, and the ways that we fall short. But, I, you know, I'm just I'm very grateful that there are people out there like you who are who are working so hard to address these barriers. Um you know you're you're doing amazing work. And, and and speaking of doing amazing work, really quick, I have to pop in here and I have to let y'all know that this episode of Startup Hustle was sponsored by Full Scale. We love Full Scale. Um, they they actually have a whole amazing team ready to help you get developers and get get the team that you need in place easily, quickly, affordably, so that you can build your tech product and so you can you don't have to worry about it and they're there to take the the stress and the worry out of the equation for you and I just I love that about them so for the folks listening at home if you are looking to build an app or software or whatever it is you need to build full scale is definitely your way to to do that so so I want (laughs) to I, we, we went down like a whole tangent that of course is like it's all shiny for me. like I want to talk about it. But really what I want to get to, because I really want our the folks who are listening uh, to this podcast, like I really hope that they they take away um, the need to bridge accessibility gaps for I don't for their customers, for their community, like I don't really care what it is, but I think that like if you if you approach things through a design thinking lens, through that em- empathic, Um, problem solving methodology, which I'm a huge advocate for, Um, you know, you build things that will benefit the most people. And and in particular, you build things that will benefit the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, So that because that way, everybody can access the vulnerable can access and then the people who are, you know, abled or, you know, fit into the paradigm. Well, it also works for them. Mm -hmm. It's like a win, win, win. So, so talk to us about, you just, you have such an amazing heart and I, and I love the way that you explain this. So talk to us about the accessibility gap in, in, and I'm going to say in our country and and knowing that Startup Hustle is, we're, we're listened to in a lot of different countries like, hi, Iceland, Ireland, Albania. Apparently we do very well there. I didn't know that until recently, but it's super cool. Hi. (laughs) Hi. We love y'all. Keep listening, uh, but but for for folks who might not be in the know, um, talk to us about some of those systemic barriers that people experience. Sure. So,
1: whew, first of all, hi to everybody around the world. Now I'm a little bit nervous. I didn't realize I was so global.
0: <laughs> no, I so. Yeah, apparently we're, I can't, I incredible. apparently we're like number four in entrepreneurship podcasts in Albania. And I remember like Matt sent out a text and I was like, oh my God, that's crazy. That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible.
1: <laughs> so there are, oh, I mean this, this in and of itself, <laughs> like the, just this one question is a whole another hour, but I'll try to condense it. So, and just kind of pick on a few things. So there are quite a few systemic factors that lead to this. And one of them, I think one of the biggest ones, especially now we're seeing with COVID, is the lack of accessibility to some sort of internet access, right? Whether that's, you know, Wi-Fi, broadband, whatever it is, I don't even understand the whole yeah. internet world. All I know is, you know, we have Wi-Fi and my husband sets it up because he's the IT guy in the family.
0: But the simple- Yeah, well, and here in the schools, we call that the digital the di- divide. Right. So, the haves and exactly. have-nots.
1: So <laughs> have-nots. what oh. we've seen- with especially with everything going virtual, and I've seen this in in the courts as well, people who don't have regular internet access—they don't have it at their homes, they don't necessarily have access to it at their work. They they can't, their kids can't attend school, virtual school, because they just don't simply don't have. I mean, the you know some schools have tried to bridge that gap by sending out you know routers and and Wi-Fi hotspots and stuff like that, but. Those are also spotty sometimes, they don't work properly. But for something like that, that's also not a requirement for the court system. So courts have gone virtual almost exclusively. Some are starting to come back in person. I did have an in-person trial the other day, a couple weeks ago. But for the most part, courts are still virtual. And if you have a client who's low income, who doesn't have internet access, and I have had clients have this problem, how do they attend their hearing? If they can't connect, some courts have given, you know, a call-in number, but I've also had judges say, you know, judges, clerks tell me, no, there is no call-in option. They have to appear by video. Okay, but if they don't have internet access, or if they don't have a smartphone with a camera, because a lot of these folks also don't have laptops or computers at home, how on earth are they supposed to be expected to attend virtual court? And then if they don't attend, they could potentially have some sort of, you know, judgment against them. I mean, in a civil case, you know, you could lose your custody battle simply because you don't show up to court. I mean, I don't know if there have been cases that have landed in that extreme, but it's certainly a possibility when you don't have that regular access because of the digital divide. In, you know, in other ones as well, uh, you know, there there is just like I mentioned before with the legal availability of legal services, access to legal services. For lower income individuals, you know, there are legal aids, but legal aids have a limited scope of the types of cases that they can have. And even with that limited scope, they have an even more limited scope of the availability of staff to take those cases. So when I used to work at legal aid, we had to sit down every week and go through all the cases that we had done intakes for. And so that's assuming you get past the intake process, which means it's a case that you can handle and you're within the income limits. At that point, then we have to go through and say, okay, we can take this case. You can take this case, but we can't take this, you know, half dozen other cases because we simply don't have the staff and the resources to do it. So when you don't have enough funding to hire the adequate amount of staff and I know public defenders are even worse off than legal aids when it comes to the availability of funding and staff, you have so many people who simply can't get the help that they need. So if you can't get a public defender or if you get a public defender who is so tapped out because they have an, you know, extreme caseload, then you're ultimately going to have a higher risk of a worse outcome, whether that's a public defender or legal aid or whatever it is. If you can even have access to that attorney for legal on the legal aid side, if you don't, you don't even have access to that attorney because Let's say you're within the income limits, but it's not that type of case. You're out of luck because you're not going to find an attorney, or at least very many, that do a sliding scale fee and be, would be willing to take that case. On the birth end for lower income individuals or folks without health care, because you know access to health care is not a uh, uh, it's not a given in this country, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, for those of you listening in countries with universal health care, um, way to go, <laughs> y'all. We're we're we're. We're yeah. we're just over here. It's a huge problem,
1: <laughs> you know. And even if you have, even if you're among the few that has somewhat affordable healthcare, right? Because then you have you have no access to healthcare. You have access to healthcare, but it's not affordable. You have access to somewhat ha- affordable healthcare, but it doesn't cover everything. Doula's are not covered by most insurance. Right. So you are the, so the accessibility to that simple service is gone completely for a lot of people because we're not you know most doulas aren't sure. free um pretty much no doulas are free unless it's a it's a non-profit doula organization
0: well i, I should you have to that. give pay- i mean you definitely deserve right paid for your amazing and services I, and so. i'm certainly not saying that
1: you know all lawyers all doulas all professionals should offer free services rather those services should be accessible because you have to uplift the communities that can't access them so you run into issues of education. Okay, well, part of the reason why a lot of these communities can't access those services because they weren't given the same opportunities because of particular areas that they live in or because of their socioeconomic community or because of their race, let's be real. You know, certain races have right. in this country have a lot less access to quality education because our education system is based on a on a system that rewards the wealthy you know, if you, you get to better schools because you pay higher property taxes because more those schools get more funding, that's not a reality in a lot of
0: guess who? Guess who tends to pay, you know, be able to pay higher property taxes? Guess who?
1: Guess who? The wealth divide is also a real thing, yes. <laughs> you know? So I have families right. in Canada and they're like, no, we, our schools aren't, they don't get, you know, funding based on property taxes. That's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> but that's how we do it here.
0: I know, I know. I like honestly, like there there are some days where I'm just like, America? Like I I, I love America. And I we actually uh I, I just not too long ago did a show with someone who was not originally from here. Actually Nomi Smith, um who you might know, uh she's she's amazing, but she comes to us from Mongolia and like she she really like when she was talking she was like you know America it's still like even with all its problems it's it's still a land of opportunity and like you know she and she made me feel like very like yeah. I love America but sometimes I do also want to smack America I feel like it's like having a child where like I love you so much I be love better, you but I don't right. like you in this I moment right you. now <laughs> Yeah, like, I mean, i well aware that, that we have issues. Uh, but fundamentally, I do. I do. I love my country. But because I love my country so much, right. I expect right. better of it. Right. Right. So, yeah. so that's kind of where we're at. But I'm just like, you know, some of these things that you're like telling me, like, they don't make make it make sense, America make it make I sense. Think if we really want to, live <laughs> up
1: to the, to the, you know, belief that we're the land of opportunity, then we actually have to make it so that everybody has the same opportunity to succeed. And we don't have that yet. Right. There are a lot of people who are working towards that. There are a lot of forces that are working against that. But I think if we keep pushing, if we have enough of us who keep pushing, yeah. because the, the, you know, in certain ways, things are a lot better than they were 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, some things haven't progressed as quickly. I tend to get impatient. That, I'm like, change now. <laughs> you know?
0: I know. Well, and I, so, so for me, like the reason I get impatient is because c- people are often telling me, well, you just have to be patient. You have to wait for people to catch up. You know, only a few years ago, this was unacceptable, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, every moment that we wait is a moment that someone, a human being, a real person, but in in, in most cases, many, many, many human beings get left behind. And so by being patient, we allow that. And so I, 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 I like, it's one of those things where I'm like, I, I get it. Like, I understand what you're telling me. And like, you have to bring people around, like to your, to your point, like you're a master of bringing people around because of, of your communication style and the way that you are the way that you approach your work. And I love that, that at the same time, I'm just like, yeah. no, I want to be impatient. Like I want to push it, right. push it, push it, push it. Yeah, no, you're
1: absolutely right. And I, and yeah. a lot of people have been being patient for hundreds of years and they still haven't seen the change that they right. deserve. So, you know, there there has to be, it's fine to be patient to an extent. I mean, I know in the legal in the legal world, with in the court system, I have to be patient because it moves so slow. Yeah, you've got patients locked up. <laughs> but to the broader community, <laughs> I think we're, we're running out of patience and that's okay too, because we waited so long. So many people have, I mean, I've waited long growing up here, being born and raised here, but I know, you know, friends of mine and communities of color that have waited hundreds of years to get the rights that they deserve and to have access to all of these things that we're talking about. So, and they just, they just haven't yeah. gotten it. So, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm perfectly fine with running out of patience at this point because sometimes when you run out of patience too, yep. it pushes more people faster. And so you have to, it pushes things forward that have to be addressed right away. Because it is, for a lot of people, it is a matter of life and death. It's a matter of freedom and, and liberty or, you know, something else. It's a matter of gaining opportunity or continuing to be held back. And, you know, we can't bridge any of these accessibility gaps if we don't recognize that we have to open up certain doors for certain communities that have been closed to them for so many years. And it's time to just bust the door down. So that they can actually access to those things.
0: Yeah. Well, and I, and so I actually, I want to take that a step further with you because one of the things that I talk about on a regular, and I think we've actually talked about this before. Um, and I invite anybody listening, like come have a coffee with me and Nadia if you want to see like some really impassioned people mm-hmm. talk about some awesome shit. But um, so, so one of the things that we talk about around IHKC circles is the difference, like what is equity versus equality. And so when you are trying to open doors for communities that have heretofore not had access, um, there's this idea out there that you cannot give everyone the same stuff And have them end up in the same place. If you have people who are already like economically disadvantaged, educationally disadvantaged people who have been denied access and opportunity for, for centuries, you know, that it it, it continually compounds and you add trauma and you add all of these things, you cannot give them the same things that you would give someone who comes from a historically, affluent white cisgender right. you know like abled lineage like you you just can't do that and expect them to end up in the same place and so you have to give additional tools resources learning in order to make up the the lost right. ground right is yeah that, am absolutely. i explaining that well absolutely like, because that...
1: you have individuals who you know who are you have like you said white cis individuals who are starting at the starting line And you have folks who are starting, you know, 100 feet behind the starting line. If you give each group of people 10 seconds to finish the race, because that's equality, those people at the starting line are going to finish a lot faster than the other, you know, the other folks in the back of the line aren't going to finish at all. I mean, it's, I just came up with this analogy in my head while you're talking. So let's see if it works. But let's look at like, let's make it, let's make it human, (laughs) right? Let's look at a pot of boiling water. Let's say you want to make some pasta, okay? If you start one pot on it high... And the other pot that has the same amount of water on it low and after five minutes you pour the pasta into both pots because that one pot's boiling already that pasta's not gonna get done at the same time yeah it's not the one in the not boiling water is not it's just gonna get nasty at that point it's
0: just you're just gonna have some hard you know hard pasta So what you're gonna have to do
1: (laughs) is crank that other pot up higher you're gonna have to give it a boost because it's never going to be able to catch up to the pot of boiling pasta that's done after eight or nine minutes and it's perfectly al dente right it's not going to happen not going to end up with the same giving people the equal opportunity the equal amount of tools is not necessarily going to lead them to this equal outcome it's just not going to happen when you have groups huge groups of people large communities that are already lack you know the same amount of privilege they lack the resources they don't have the access to education that you know the other side has they don't have access to all of these things i mean look at if you look at kansas city i live in waldo and the streets around here have finally gotten repaved and they're gorgeous right they're so smooth you can finally drive on a lot of them without busting a tire every time you hit a pothole but go a little bit east go on 85th street and go east of prospect let's say even east of truest all of a sudden the potholes are there everywhere on the east side not maybe not everywhere i haven't been everywhere but in a lot of places on the east side there are tons of potholes it seems like a simple thing right like what do potholes are but what ends yeah. up happening is what a lot of people don't recognize is that compounding effect so that pothole means somebody is going to be driving to work Who probably already works, you know, multiple jobs because there's lesser, you know, economic opportunity on that side because that was intentional with redlining.
0: And and they're playing like pothole Frogger, like across the road. And And yeah, and and for those of you who don't know, Kansas City, we have a pothole problem across our city. It's being addressed. I know it is. We have a lot of potholes. It's not being addressed in an
1: equitable fashion. That's what's frustrating. Because right. then you have that person who, who hits a pothole, busts a tire, that's going to set them out, you know, a couple hundred dollars. They don't have that couple hundred dollars to spare. So then they get to work.
0: And they're not going to be able right. to go, they, they might miss work. Um, yeah. they miss work, certainly right. have to go get it fixed. They have to pay for right. the tire and the labor. And so so you've created a, you've created, you've created a gap. Created a gap compounding right? problems
1: that have, a you know, very
0: potentially detrimental yeah.
1: outcome. And we don't look that far ahead.
0: So the, so the one that I, the, the one that I always use is like, if you were to give, or let's say that you gave a $5,000 scholarship to two individuals um, to to college. And so on the one hand, you have someone who came from a less advantaged community, um, you know didn't have a whole lot of resources in their schools or anything like that. And then you have someone who came from a highly resourced community. And it's like, well, cool. You gave both of them the same scholarship. That's amazing, congratulations. But the person who comes from the Advantage community isn't going to have to worry about books and probably isn't going to have to take on a job to pay for room and board and isn't going to have to scramble to come up with the additional monies for, for school without taking on loans. So you, 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 create, you have given equal opportunity, but you have still uh, propagated a, a deep gap. Right in opportunity and a lot of people right? come that
1: with it's not well it's, giving somebody more isn't fair okay but the underlying problems weren't fair <laughs> the underlying inequities weren't, fair, weren't so. fair
0: right so so how do you so so we're actually going to run long here and i but i love it so so i want to ask you i want to ask you this question what are some ways like some really tangible ways or, or maybe even it's just sharing a way of thinking like if you can give advice to our listeners with the understanding that a lot of them are founders they they want to start businesses or they're in the thick of you know leading businesses what would you tell them to to decrease accessibility mm-hmm. gaps for for the the folks they serve whether it's their their family their community their customers yeah. like i don't i don't care Uh, But what what would you tell them? And this is going to have to be very general advice. And I understand that. So
1: (laughs) I think there are a few a few things like I can't ask everybody to do a sliding scale because now that doesn't also work with a lot of industries. It works for me. um, But that that wouldn't be one of my pieces of advice for most people. What I would say is, first, you have to adjust your thinking and it takes a lot. It takes a lot to really deconstruct your brain and kind of reanalyze and reassess the way that we were taught in school and the, the things that we were led to believe that aren't necessarily reality, right? So adjust your way of thinking and also recognize what your privileges are. That's one thing that has, I, on a personal level, has really kind of propelled me to do as much as I can. Because I do recognize that, you know, my parents had to work hard for what they had, for sure. But I also, by virtue of my background, you know, my race, my religion, all of that, all of, you know, my socioeconomic status, my ability to get the education that I've had, I come with a lot of privilege. And so... I have to recognize that, accept that within myself, be content with that. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're inherently bad by any means. It just means you're recognizing where you've had advantages that other people have not. And then use that to help others. And the way that that other you know business owners and, and companies can do that as well in terms of bridging the accessibility gap is is there are a few different things. If you're a bigger company, you know, you can certainly hire, you know, a DEI, um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion officer, but it has to be somebody that, you know, has experienced who, somebody who can speak on behalf of disadvantaged communities, but also somebody who who is actually going to implement the right types of policies that need to be implemented. And then the leadership of that company has to be open to it. That's kind of the biggest thing that a lot of people hire a DEI officer as like, a surface thing to make it look like they're doing the work, but they're not really doing the work, you know, so it has right. to be intentional and you have to be committed to it, whether it's somebody or you bring in a consultant, yeah, I, I, you know, it
0: has. Right. I always tell people that true equity always takes yeah. more time, money, yeah. resources, and people and words like yeah, it absolutely. also takes more words. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, and and for those listening at home, like when, when we're talking about these things, like I think it's really important to note that, like, to, Nadia, to Nadia's earlier point, we, I don't think anybody is expecting people to give services away for free. But like, for instance, so so Matt DeCorsi, he's one of our startup hustle hosts, and he is uh, founder of Full Scale, uh, our episode sponsor. But like, he does he doesn't give services away for free, but. Um, he does create like like every now and again he'll take part in a competition where he'll, he'll donate services. I know that he mentors a lot of founders like to to share knowledge and help them out. And so like there are a lot of different ways that you can plug in to closing some of these accessibility gaps and ensuring that whatever product or service or you know revolutionary cool thing you're doing, there are ways to make sure that that the highest number of people can access it. And I think that that's kind of, that's the point. You know, you don't have to give everything away, but just make sure that you're you're looking with a view to create democratizing mm-hmm. access. That's the, that's the phrase that I use right. a lot. <laughs>
1: Try to find it within your budget um, to give back in some way, whether it's offering those free services, supporting a local organization that helps provide those services for free. There are so many creative ways that that right. can be done.
0: Absolutely. Well, and so, so speaking of Matt, I, I would be very remiss if I did not mention that this episode of Start a Puzzle was sponsored by Fullscale.io. And in addition to doing great work in the community, they also can help you build a software team quickly and affordably. Did you Did you like how I did I like that? The, nice that. It was very clever. <laughs> Total, totally unintentional. Uh, also want to mention, you know, I, I don't know if you heard it. And Nadia, did you know that we we actually started a TV show about entrepreneurship? Have you heard of this yet? Startup Hustle TV. I, I saw something Startup about on it. TV. Yeah, yeah, I did. That's interesting. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun! So, so if you head on over to YouTube, you can search for Startup Hustle. Uh, you can watch me and some fellow founder cast members. Uh, I cuss a lot, so I would like to apologize in advance, but that's just kind of what I do. Uh, but you can you can watch us, and we we share the real story of our journeys as entrepreneurs, and I just love it. So definitely keep an eye out for that. So, so Nadia, I have all right. I have a question. I'm ready. For you. Are you ready? <laughs> Here it comes uh so so you mm-hmm. talk about your kids don't ask me which was my favorite Lauren. you are right. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask you which was your favorite I would never do well I mean I might do that at like a coffee be like <laughs> but I'm, I'm not gonna do that here today um I'm gonna say that you have a full day money is no object um with your kids with your family I, I guess your husband can come if he wants to. <laughs> but
1: what do you? What Full do you day, do? No money. Money isn't an object, and I can go. Anywhere,
0: and money I can go isn't anywhere. an object. It. I mean, you. Ha- so, like, even if you yeah. wanted to go somewhere, like, you can go. You just have to remember that.
1: Yeah, you know, one you have day. a day. Okay, I like, can only do it in one day, so it has to be close. All right, I would go. I would take the kids. I would let each of them pick one place that they want to go to. Their favorite place within, obviously, within a couple hours' distance, because we have to be able to get there on time. So I would let them each pick one place that they want to go to. And it could be like Wonderscope, it could be Science City, it can be whatever their favorite museum is. We would go to that. We would, um, then go maybe for like a couple hours of just like relaxing on, you know, in the woods or something like that, you know, find some nice like lake area yeah. where we just chill. I think that would be awesome. And then I would maybe drop them off with a babysitter and go have a nice with my husband.
0: <laughs> wow. Good for you. Well, and I, I love the fact that like on the front, you're loading the front end, like you, even in your, your family life, you're democratizing <laughs> the experience you're just like hey everybody gets to say and I was like that's so Nadia uh <laughs> but yeah well well so I have to tell you my friend thank you, sure, thank you thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today I I always have fun with you this I knew was, that this was gonna thank be a for fun having me. um but you you rock I just I think you're awesome you're just you're even more <laughs> awesome
1: you're incredible always a pleasure hanging oh, out with you always
0: Yes, same. Okay. All right. We're going to start with the Mutual Admiration Society. No, I'm going to take it one step further and I'm going to say, "You know who else we we love, dear listeners? Yeah. We we love you. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to give us a listen here at Startup Hustle Podcast, and we will catch you on the flip side."